A terrifying creature of monstrous size is said to inhabit woodlands and other remote locations on Earth. People who encounter it are considered crazy, but they insist their experiences are real. This week, we explore the mystery of the terrifying Bigfoot. Welcome, 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 one and all. This is Brad with KMH Podcast welcoming you to a very special episode. It's our 25th episode. In podcast years, we can now rent a car. How exciting is that? In honor of this prestigious milestone, we are going to discuss everyone's favorite cryptid, Bigfoot. But first, we have some business to take care of. A winner to announce... As you know from my recent constant badgering, in celebration of 25 episodes, we are giving away an Amazon gift card to one of our loyal, dedicated listeners. The deadline to enter was June 20th, which has now passed. But without further ado, I am proud to announce that our winner is... Valerie Delvoy. Congratulations, I've already sent you a message to get the deets on where to send your gift card, as the kids would say. Thank you all for entering by joining the private group. I hope those of you who haven't joined will join. There are going to be some special group-only things planned on the horizon. You know, instead of doing the whole Patreon subscriber bonuses, I'm thinking about doing private group-type bonuses. We'll see what develops. But let's jump into the subject matter, shall we? Bigfoot, Sasquatch, Yeti, Yowie, the Abominable Snowman. Whatever name you give it, we are discussing the famous hairy ape-like creature that walks upright, dwells in the wilderness, and is often described as looking something like a cross between a man and an ape. He's a bit of a celebrity these days. He's recently been the mascot of Jack Link's brand of beef jerky products. He's appeared in dozens of movies, including such classics and legends as The Legend of Boggy Creek, Harry and the Hendersons, Monsters, Inc., Cabin in the Woods, and the Hotel Transylvania series. There's also numerous television shows you can find him in, such as The Simpsons, MacGyver, and The Six Million Dollar Man. I think he was actually played by Andre the Giant in The Six Million Dollar Man. So if you need a wrestling connection to Bigfoot, there it is. Bigfoot also cameos in several video games, including Red Dead Redemption, The Undead Nightmare, Tony Hawk's Underground 2, and Assassin's Creed 3. Frankly, he's got a much better resume than I do. He's the, shall we say, Anthony Hopkins or William Defoe of the cryptid world or, or whoever it is that the teenage girls are going wild about these days. I'm, I'm old. I'm out of touch. Interestingly, the FBI has investigated this creature. During the 70s, they received hair and skin samples from a Bigfoot enthusiast. These records of the findings were kept confidential until June of 2019, so a year ago. 
And the conclusion was the FBI couldn't truly identify where the samples came from, but surmised from what they could that it came from a type of deer. Kind of anticlimactic. There's also a persistent internet rumor that the U.S. government took possession of a Bigfoot who was severely injured after a forest fire. The story's typically set in a western state such as Nevada. The body's traditionally described as being well over seven feet tall with, again, a face that looks like a mix of human and monkey, and the poor guy was half covered in burns. Now, of course, this cutesy cartoon version of Sasquatch that we think of isn't the real version that's said to be out there. Most believe he's kind of a missing link, for lack of a better term. However, there's also stories that he may be extraterrestrial in origin, perhaps even extra-dimensional. There's people who point out that he's mentioned in the Bible and all sorts of other similar ideas. As there are some notable ufologists that there's a correlation between Bigfoot sightings and UFO sightings. And while this idea may seem laughable at first, and even second, or third, there is something called the Mach Effect, which states that fluctuations from the Earth are powerful enough to create ripples and maybe even tears in the electromagnetic membrane which separates our dimension from parallel ones. Well, I mean, that, that's how the UFO folks describe it. I tried to study this, and the Mach effect is better known as the Woodward effect, which really describes the theory of propulsion. Uh, you create forward momentum by internalizing the natural fluctuations surrounding an object, I think. It sounds like if it could work, then theoretically it could affect the curve of the space-time continuum and allow us to manifest wormholes, giving us the ability to travel through the galaxy in a Star Trek type of universe. But there hasn't been a whole lot of great results from trying to put this theory into action. And some say if it's going to work, you'd have to violate some pretty stable and immutable laws of physics. Plus, you'd just risk creating black holes, like, everywhere. Or something like that. I don't know. I mean, I went to law school to avoid math and science courses. So I'm not the man who should be speaking on this. Fortunately, we're not here to talk about science. We're not here to try to solve the mystery of Bigfoot. We're here to listen to spooky stories around the campfire, right? We want to know about all the horrible things this legendary monster could do. We're going to get it started with a historical account before moving on to some more modern tales and a special surprise at the end. Okay, so our first tale is known as the Bauman story. And this story arises from President Teddy Roosevelt's memoirs, of all places. It is named after a grizzled hunter and trapper known only as Bauman. The Bauman fella told his story so well to Roosevelt that the president felt compelled to include the story in his memoirs. So here's how the story goes. Bauman was apparently trapping in an area with a buddy of his somewhere near the border of Idaho and Montana in the western United States in 1892. 
Now, this was a, a trail where a fellow hunter or trapper had recently been found ripped in half and partially eaten. The only evidence that could be found at that scene were some giant-sized human tracks. Undeterred, Bauman and his buddy continued trapping in the same area, going deeper and deeper into those same woods until they reached a clearing with signs of plenty of game. So they set up camp there. They spent the last few hours of daylight gathering firewood, exploring the local area, doing the typical things. When they returned to their camp, it had been destroyed. It had looked like a bear visited and ransacked everything. So before losing the last little bits of daylight, they quickly repaired the camp and hunkered down for the night. Bauman began making dinner over the campfire and his buddy finished the last few repairs. The companion then began looking at the tracks to see where the bear had come from and gone to. After several minutes of study, the companion declared the bear had apparently been walking on two legs. Bauman laughed at his friend, but then, after studying the prince himself, reached the same conclusion. Regardless, these men, who are far braver than I, decided to go on to sleep. But they would be awoken that night by a strange noise and a terrible odor. Bauman grabbed his rifle and took a wild shot at this giant shadow he saw, but apparently missed as the bear creature ran off. Again, they examined the tracks that were left this time, and once again concluded the bear was walking on two legs. They decided it may be smart to start sleeping in shifts after that, with one keeping guard. The man who was awake would hear snapping branches and an odd guttural howl in the darkness. In the morning, they decided to move on to another campsite, but both couldn't shape the feeling of being watched. After finding a new site and settling in, Bauman boldly volunteered to return and collect the traps they had left behind. Unfortunately, it took him much longer than he expected, and he found himself returning as the sun hung low in the sky. Approaching the campsite, Bauman noticed the campfire was nothing more than a thin wisp of smoke, and his companion was nowhere to be seen. He set down his traps and began calling out for his companion. After several minutes of looking, he found him lying behind a log with his throat ripped out. Bauman, in shock, abandoned all of his gear except for his rifle and ran back to the clearing where they had left their horses and rode through the night until he reached civilization again. Bauman described the creature as being goblin-like and half-devil. In the same book, Roosevelt actually hints at having a similar experience, hearing unidentifiable groans and the, si the sounds of large branches snapping around him. However, he goes into no detail, which many hysterians who are really Teddy Roosevelt experts note was very odd of him. So now we can move on to more modern stories, and we'll start with the one that I've dubbed the Deer Hunter. On October 23, 2010, just before sunrise in Merlin, Oregon, a deer hunter parked his ATV on a trail that he enjoyed hunting on. He hiked quietly, trying to get to his favorite hunting spot without spooking any of the wildlife. As he walked along, he spotted a large figure about 10 yards ahead of him. 
Fearing it was a bear, this wise hunter backed off, tried to make himself much less visible. As he studied the bear, he noticed something was off. The shadow it cast was too large, and it took massive strides as it walked on only two legs, which are not exactly bear-like characteristics. Again, being far braver than I, the hunter actually turned on his flashlight and pointed it at the dang creature. The hunter claimed it stood well over seven feet tall and likely weighed over 500 pounds. For our metric listeners, that's 2.2 meters tall and over 225 kilograms. It was extremely muscular and covered in dark fur. The creature reacted by fleeing down the hillside and was gone in a flash. The hunter noted it had unusually long arms and walked with a hunch. The hunter was quoted as saying, I've seen a few bears and I know positively that was no bear. He also said, I used to think that Sasquatch couldn't exist, but now I can see why that isn't true. So now we're going to move on to a story that takes place in the Washita Mountains in southeastern Oklahoma. They have become an area of concentrated study by the North American Wood Ape Conservancy. I cannot tell you how many times I had to re-record this because I just could not say the word conservancy. Now, they have access to this study area that's totally isolated and is set among hundreds of thousands of acres, all privately owned, with only one road in and out, and it's not an easy road from what I understand. Every spring and summer, they monitor the forest 24 hours a day for several weeks using four-man teams. They've been going to these mountains ever since the year 2000, when a set of unusually large tracks were discovered. The Conservancy, see I keep screwing up, refers to this land as Area X. Now during their first field trip, they heard heavy footsteps exploring the area and the snapping of sizable trees as some monstrous creature hulked around the woods. The next year, the teams reported that cabin walls were forcibly slapped and rocks were thrown at the, at the cabins and bizarre loud vocalizations were produced by creatures who remained out of sight. By 2004, the creatures' attacks became far more aggressive arguably culminating with a large boulder being thrown at and nearly hitting a mother and son. In response, the North American Wood Ape folks began what is called Operation Forest Vigil. They set up camera traps that were strategically placed around the camp. Now, unfortunately, most of these cameras were damaged by black bears who were attracted to the scent of the materials used to build the cameras, and no useful photos were ever captured. Undeterred, the team members continued to arrive at Area X each spring, and they would report dozens of encounters every year. Loud, rhythmic, wood-on-wood knocking came in patterns and seemed to be an intentional, as if a form of communication. In 2011, Operation Force Vigil was upgraded to 
the Washita Project, where a series of on-site, scientifically documented stays and surveillance would occur in an effort to collect independently verifiable evidence. These specific efforts included, and I love this, as you will too, projecting chimpanzee antics onto a giant projector at night, and also playing pornography at full blast. It's unclear how well this experiment worked. Now, their stated goal is to produce undisputable evidence of the existence of Bigfoot, then work to establish a safe area for the creatures to live in. They apparently realize that they will almost certainly have to produce a body before they're taken seriously, and it would seem that pornography is the key to their strategy. So, frankly, I don't see how they fail. Next up is a Yowie encounter from down in Australia. Mark Downton had an odd encounter with a creature near Eden, Australia, in 1992. While traveling with his brother and a friend late one night, the brother, who was driving, kind of fell asleep at the wheel and crashed the car into a ditch. Now, fortunately, no one was injured, but Mark's brother decided he'd have to hitchhike all the way back to Eden to get a tow truck while Mark and his friend stayed with the vehicle. And that's when our story begins. Mark says they were sitting there silently, just listening to nature and lost in their own thoughts, when suddenly everything went silent, like completely silent. Finding this a touch odd, Mark began to look around to see if there was a cause for this complete change in atmosphere. And there was. Mark saw a yowie emerge from the trees. The creature stood there as if surveying the situation. Mark claimed the ape-like creature stood at least five and a half feet tall and stood on two legs. It was covered in black fur and had broad shoulders, and it stood only less than five yards away. I couldn't speak. I couldn't move. I was frozen on the spot. It wasn't a human being. I know that much for sure, Mark said in an interview. The creature stood in front of the car for several minutes before turning and walking away. Truthfully, I'm not scared of much, but that was the most scary thing I've ever come across in my life, Mark said. He spent many years afterwards speaking with people who had also reported seeing a similar creature. Now we've got one about a hog hunter. In the early morning hours of April 3, 2004, a hunter sat in his tree stand in Texas waiting to spring a trap. He watched the bait he had laid out for wild hogs that frequented the area. He hoped his table scraps and sliced apples he left would hold the hogs long enough for him, to him, for him to get a clear shot on one of them. Near sunrise, he heard the familiar noises of a team of hogs rooting around for food and slowly approaching. Yes, the internet tells me that the official term for a group of hogs is a team of hogs. As the hunter narrowed in on where he had heard the as-yet-unseen hogs, a shadow darted across his peripheral vision. The hunter quickly turned to see what caused the motion and used the scope to zero on where he thought the shadow disappeared to. And he found it. A large, dark shadow, roughly human in shape. 
It too was in a tree and was watching the hogs intently. It even leaned over to get a better view of the hogs, and the hunter tried to discern its features. However, the creature quickly leapt to another tree. It was like a blur when it moved. The hunter again found the creature and again tried to zoom in on its face. Yet again, the creature jumped. This time from tree to tree multiple times before landing softly on two feet behind a large tree. The creature stood at the tree looking carefully at the hogs, which the hunter could now see. The hogs were roughly 40 yards from his position, while the creature was only 30 yards away. Suddenly, the creature squatted down on all fours and leapt towards the hogs. It took a second leap to reach the team, and as it neared the hogs, it let loose a terrifying scream, which caused panic among the team of hogs. The creature fiercely slapped one of them against a tree. Before it could recover from the blow, the creature dashed over and smashed the hog multiple times with its fists. The hunter from his tree stand could hear the snapping of bones as the rest of the hogs ran for their lives. Satisfied that the hog was dead, the creature picked up the body with one arm and began making a whooping noise, which was answered with a similar whoop about 300 yards away. The creature then began walking in that direction of the answering yelp. When the creature passed under the tree stand, it stopped gently set down the hog, and began looking into the trees. The hunter, in a near panic, tried to keep his rifle sighted on the creature's head in a desperate attempt to prevent an attack should one come. The creature found the hunter and made eye contact with him. It studied the hunter for several seconds, even cocking its head to the side like a dog is wont to do. The hunter said it looked like the creature had a look of curiosity on its face as it studied him. After a few moments, the creature showed its teeth, let out a soft sound, and then walked off with the hog as if the hunter didn't exist. The hunter remained in the tree stand for at least 30 minutes to ensure that the creature was long gone. The hunter described this creature as being between 7 and 8 feet tall, with reddish-brown fur and yellowish fingernails. The hunter believed it to be a female, as the creature appeared to have breasts. The arms were too long for its body, and it walked with a stooped gait. The teeth were flat and without fangs. The hunter did not notice an odd smell. Our next story is a two-for-one deal. It takes place in the summer of 1989 in Essex County, New York. A teenager was out with three friends walking the woods near railroad tracks. It was late, about 1.30 in the morning. The area they were walking through was a bit of a car graveyard with multiple abandoned cars lining the road down to the railroad tracks. As they, well, you know, acted like teenagers, they stopped suddenly at the sound of a loud noise. It was some sort of terrible scream followed by what was described as the tearing of metal. The teens began talking softly, but apparently made just enough noise to attract some attention. While they stood on top of a bank, they heard a massive snapping of wood 
and saw a large shadow appear at the bottom of the bank. In a flash, the creature climbed the bank and stood facing the teens. Three ran, but one stood his ground, or probably best described as being too scared to move. He said the smell was just overwhelming and described it as a cross between a dead skunk and a deep bog. The creature was close enough that the teen could feel the monster's breath. His brain finally unfroze and he began to run. At that moment, the creature gave a wheat chase, but only until the teens were back on the road. The next day, of course, the teens returned to see if there was any evidence they could collect, but they didn't really find anything. They did happen to test their skill at climbing up the bank the creature charged and found that the fastest time they could muster between the four of them was just over five minutes. Remember, the creature had made this climb in seconds. Notably, and though it can't be unequivocally attributed to the creature they saw, one of the abandoned vehicles they had stopped to discuss went from being on its wheels the night before to being found on its roof that next day with parts of it ripped off. Now, like I said, this is a twofer. The protagonist of that first story had a second encounter in the same area just a mere four years later. While driving through the same woods with a friend to head to the party spot in the woods all teenagers know about, the two stopped at the crest of a hill. They spent several minutes chatting when our buddy saw a shadow behind the vehicle. He turned to get a better look only to see the beast creeping up on the driver's side of the vehicle. Instinctively, he shouted for his friend to floor it, and they raced down the wooded trail. The creature gave chase for a spell before darting off into the woods. The two drove for seven miles at full speed to get back to civilized land, not stopping for any traffic lights or stop signs along the way. The teen told his friend when they were safely home that it looked like the creature was trying to reach for the driver's door handle. So that's all the stories on our buddy Bigfoot that I have, but I have a story from a very special guest that I am honored to share with you all. Krista from the Strange Sessions podcast is a Bigfoot freak, and so I asked if she would be kind enough to share her favorite Bigfoot story with us, and she was. So without hesitating any longer, I'm going to let Krista tell her favorite story. Hey Brad, Krista from The Strange Sessions here. Congratulations on the new podcast. Love it, love the topics, and in particular today's topic, Bigfoot. Anyone who listens to The Strange Sessions knows I'm a Bigfoot enthusiast. My favorite Bigfoot story would probably have to be uh, the story behind the Sierra sounds. I love listening to Bigfoot vocalizations, and if you haven't heard the Sierra sounds, I highly encourage you to look it up on YouTube. The vocalizations were captured in the 1970s by Ron Moorhead and Al Berry near the Sierra Nevada mountains in Eastern California. They had several sightings, found alleged footprints, and heard on numerous occasions wood knocking, whoops, and as you will hear in the Sierra Sounds recording, what sounds like actual language. From what I've read, these vocalizations have been analyzed and for the most part have been determined to not be human or at least most likely could not have been produced by a male human. Whatever made these noises based on this analysis indicates something much larger than a male human. 
The recording itself is so interesting and honestly really creepy. It starts with wood knockings and progresses to whoops, at which point the men start responding with their own whoops and they get responses back. Then things get really strange and the alleged creatures, and I say alleged just because, I mean, where's the proof that this is really a Bigfoot? But they start to communicate among themselves and there's a theory of someone who analyzed these recordings that there were three um, Bigfoot or Big Feets, Bigfoots, whatever you want to call them. They start communicating among themselves in this chattering, fast language, which at times almost sounds Japanese. It's unnerving to listen to. The men continue to mimic what they are hearing and get direct responses. If it were me in the forest at night hearing these sounds, I can confidently say the last thing I would do is try to engage in communication. As much as I love hearing stories about Bigfoot encounters, I really don't want to have one myself. I think I would forever be afraid to enter the woods ever again. So that's my favorite story. Check out the audio on YouTube. And as always, stay strange. I will say I 100% agree with Krista. That tape or that video or that recording, whatever you want to call it, is just wacky as all get out. Um, I've found it on YouTube and I've put it in our show notes. Go listen to it. You won't believe what it sounds like. It's, it's incredible. Uh, it's just, it's mind blowingly incredible. Again, I appreciate Krista coming on to share that story with us. Please know that she hosts, co-hosts the strange sessions podcast with a fellow named Kurt. They do a wonderful job. They dip into a lot of paranormal and kind of unexplained mystery sorts of stuff, but they're amazing. I if, if I could have one wish for this little podcast, it's that everybody who's a fan of us would also become a fan of the Strange Sessions. That's my favorite podcast out there. My biggest complaint is they release episodes every other week, so I have to go a long time between my fixes. Okay, well with that, we are done with our episode. Regardless of where you stand on the Bigfoot coin, the audio that Krista references is spooky as crap. So we need to move away from spooky and on to funny. It's palate cleanser time. Now first, let me apologize. Last week, apparently, I used a joke that had already been selected as the palate cleanser. And I have been bullied into offering an apology and describing my shame in ruining what was otherwise a great podcast episode. This is why... I should not be trusted with such responsibility. So here is Eli's carefully selected joke for this week. Now before we get to the palate cleanser, I want to say there was a lot of debate and hand-wringing and general unease about the way to go with this week's joke. Because while my son wanted to do a Bigfoot joke, he also knew that our special guest Krista loves pickle jokes and so he could not decide whether to he should do the Bigfoot joke to 
fit the theme of the episode or do the pickle joke as a thank you to Krista. Ultimately, this joke won out. How do pickles enjoy a day out? They relish it. All right, well, congratulations again to Valerie for winning the gift card. Let me say again that it is y'all that make this fun for me. Please email me or message me anytime with episode requests, comments, tips, more just to let me know what you had for lunch. Our web- website is kmhpodcast.com. Our Instagram is kmh.podcast. We're on Facebook. We've got email. We're pretty easy to reach out and talk to. Please don't be bashful. As always, leave us a five-star rating and a glowing review so we've got some social proof that this isn't a waste of time to listen to us. Please subscribe so you don't miss an episode and then badger some other friends into listening and subscribing the same. And I mean like really get in their face, like creep them out in a stalkerish way. That's, that's the dedication we want to see. We want to keep going so we can do bigger and better things. And I can continue to justify to my wife why I keep spending so much time and money on this little project. Okay. That's all I have. Let's shoot for another 25 episodes, folks. Thank you all for tuning in this week, last week, and every week, and know that in my heart, you are all appreciated. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for listening to Killing, Missing, Hidden. Make sure to rate, subscribe, and share. Questions? Email us at info at